your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians chapter 5. And we continue through our study in the book of Galatians. And our verse tonight, and I guess we'll call it our section here, is verses 22 and 23. And although we'll just be in one particular thing in verse 22. The Bible says, Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. We're going to consider the fruit of the Spirit in the first one tonight, love, and we're going to be taking each of these uh, in order as they come. And we've been in this section here in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul has been talking to the churches of Galatia and he's, and he's really identifying the ministries of the Holy Spirit and how much we need the Spirit of God. And he's been contrasting the flesh, what the flesh, the works of the flesh and what the Spirit of God will produce. And if you go back to Verse 13, he says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. So in Christ, when you're a born-again believer, you're free. Free from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin through the Holy Spirit of God. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And Paul, before this, had been talking about those who were law keepers, who were trying to add the works of the law to, uh, to salvation, and how the Galatian believers had been falling back into what was really bondage again. And, and the result of that was going to be that the flesh was going to rule, the flesh was going to take over. And, and so Paul is highlighting here the works that the flesh produces. And he says in verse 15, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then... Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so he sets a contrast here, the difference between what the flesh is going to produce through the works of the flesh and what the Spirit of God will produce in a person's life. And so he lists the flesh. He says in verse 19, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And he goes through all of these, which we considered most of those uh, at a prior time, and what that looks like. And, and the idea behind it is, as a born-again believer, those things do not look good on you. It's not comely for a Christian to walk in the flesh and to, and to, and to uh, have a life that is consumed by the flesh. And, and that's what it looks like. Somebody who, who is quarreling and who has strife and who has envyings. And, and he talks about the... the, the, the uncleanness of the flesh and drunkenness and all of these other things. And it's just, it's ugly if, if that's what a Christian is controlled by. Rather, our life ought to look like something completely different. A life that is filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit of God is going to look like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And so this is the contrast where we're at here. And, and so the Apostle Paul is now uh, sharing with these churches uh, this, this, and we, we asked, I asked the question, and we talked about this, what, what defines you? What does your life look like? What would others, what would others say if, if, 
everyone was lined up and, and, and you were standing there and like, what is your impression of this person? Because the fruit of the Spirit producing things, it's not, it's not uh, God knows what's in your heart. God knows what's there, but what's on the inside is going to come out. And so it's what others view and what others see in our life in this context here that is that's important does it look like love does it look like joy and peace is that what your life looks like or does it look like variance and quarreling and seditions and strife and factions and contentions and biting and devouring one another those kinds of things and so we're here in this section we're going to take each of these as they come and the first one is love and I think it's interesting that, that Paul starts here, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that is set in contrast to what he said earlier about the Galatians biting and devouring one another. That is set in contrast with walking in the Spirit. And love is the very first thing on the list. that We talked about those words, biting, devouring. The word bite means to wound the soul. It was, it, it's, it's to lacerate with reproach. The word devour, those two words are, are picturing wild animals attacking each other and, and consuming each other. The word devour, it means to ruin by the infliction of injury. And note this, it means to discourage with words and actions. In other words, he says you bite and you devour one another. You, you discourage one another with your words and with your actions towards each other. And the very first thing in the list of the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is not a natural tendency of our flesh. Selfishness is a natural tendency of our flesh. Love is not something that we can generate or we can produce, not the kind of love that's a godly love. In fact, turn over to 1 John, keep your place here, and look at 1 John chapter 4. We're going to have several scriptures to look at tonight, so get ready to, to turn in your Bibles. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, the Bible says, We love Him because He first loved us. The only reason that we love or love God is because God first loved us. The definition of the word love here could be, is, is simply this. It is divine concern for others. In other words, divine is the key. In other words, it's not something that is self-generated. It is godly concern, divine concern for others. The Bible tells us as well that God Himself is love. And so love begins with God, and there is no love if we don't know Him. There's a human kind of love, and the world has this version of love that's not love at all, there is no love or divine love or godly love unless we know Him first. And the point is, you've got to be saved and you've got to be filled with the Spirit of God. And that is what produces love inside of the believer. But it's God's kind of love. In other words, because God is love, when we're filled with His Holy Spirit, His love is demonstrated and communicated through us it's not our own. It's not something we can generate by self. The word love here 
comes from a Greek word that means affection for, it means benevolence. In a general sense, it means to be pleased with, have a regard for, or affection. That's a general sense of it. Today's culture correlates love with lust or with physical contact of some sort. That's not how the Bible describes or defines love. Go over to Romans chapter 13 with me. Romans chapter 13. And I want you to look at verse 8. Romans 13 and verse 8, the Bible says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. All right, so according to Romans 13 in verse 8, love is the fulfilling of the law. Notice it again. He says, Owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So, love is the fulfilling of God's law. God's law concerning other people. Now, if, if you were to go to Exodus chapter 20, and you would read the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, you find several that are related to other people. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not bear false witness, etc., etc. Honor your father and your mother. Okay, So those are, the, those are the laws of God. And in other words, if you have love for others, you are going to keep God's law concerning them toward them. And our thought ought to be, when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ, because I love you, I'm not going to bear false witness against you. Because I love you, I'm not going to covet what's not mine. Because I love you, I'm not going to steal from you. Because I love you. That's the fulfilling of God's law. Now look down at verse 10. Romans 13 and verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of of the law. Love towards others is proven by keeping God's laws concerning them. Love towards God is... How do we prove our love toward God? What did Jesus say? If you love me, what? Keep my commandments, right? So we prove our love toward God by keeping His commandments. Loving one another is one of those commandments. So love towards others is proven by keeping God's law concerning them. Love toward God is proven by keeping His commandment. Therefore, keeping God's law towards others is actually saying, I love you, God. Do you follow that? Do you see the connection there? Now go to 1 John chapter 5. It's a reflection of our love toward God in the way that we love and treat one another. 1 John chapter 5, and verse 3, the Bible says, For this is the love of God. And then he's going to tell us what that is. That we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. This is the love of God. What is it? That we keep His commandments. Go to Matthew chapter 22. And note Jesus' words in Matthew 22. In verse 36, Matthew 22 and verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? So here's the question. What's the most important commandment in the law of God? 
Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So in other words, the fulfilling of God's laws is found in loving God, number one, and then loving your neighbor, number two. On those two hang all the law and the prophets. By fulfilling God's law in how we treat others and how we love others, we are proving and demonstrating our love toward Him. Everybody understand that? Okay, so now, now that we've got that foundation laid, how is love then demonstrated? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's a godly love. It's all about keeping God's commandments. It's about how we treat and how we love one another. So how is that love then demonstrated? Well, there's lots of, of scriptures that give examples of love. Some of them are a worldly type of love, not God's kind of love. Like Samson and Delilah, for example. A worldly type, a worldly kind of love. But there's a lot of others that demonstrate God's kind of love. And what is that? Well, we need to look to God Himself first. Do you know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Correct? Because of God's love, He gave His only begotten Son. God set the example of what love looks like. It's sacrifice. It's giving. That means self-denial. That means denial of self. It means giving of self for another. God loved the world, and He gave His only begotten Son. There's another example we can look at. Look at Luke chapter 7. It's, it's a human example, but it's a great illustration or demonstration of, of a godly kind of love that is sacrificial, that's giving. In Luke chapter 7, we're going to start in, in verse 36. The Bible says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment." Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. I want you to note in this story that Jesus gives, I want you to note what she gave to Jesus. When we read this, we saw that she brought in an alabaster box of ointment. We saw that she cried, was weeping, and she washed the Lord's feet with her tears, and she wiped or dried his feet with the hairs of her head, and she kissed his feet, and she gave that ointment and anointed his feet. And the illustration or what it's demonstrating for us is that she is giving all that she has to give to demonstrate and show her love for the Lord. But I also want you to know what Simon did not give. Simon didn't even fulfill their own custom. What was their custom? That a guest would come into the house and there would be water to wash the dust off of their feet. Simon didn't even give Jesus water for his feet. Jesus pointedly contrasted Simon's neglect of even giving him water for his feet with the woman washing his feet with tears and wiping them with her hair. That she was demonstrating the giving of her all. That was the true love. And my point is, God set the example of love for us. Love is is giving of self. Love is sacrifice. That is what God's kind of love is. Now, let's get back to the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. You understand where we're going now? The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's self-sacrifice. It's giving of self. It is self-denial. Does your life demonstrate and look like godly love? There are five individuals or kinds that the Bible specifically says that we are to love. Now, what is love again? Love is giving, right? Love is self-sacrifice. The Bible says that we're to love God. Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. You can find it in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30 as well. What is love? It's giving. It's sacrifice. And the question might be, what might the Lord want you to give Him? Or what might the Lord want you to give up for Him? Love is giving. It's sacrifice. We're to love our neighbor. To love our neighbor as ourself. Matthew 19 and verse 19. Ephesians 5 says husbands are to love their wives. John 13 and verse 34 says that we are to love the brethren. Go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3 and verse 14. The Bible says, We know that we have passed from death unto life. We know that we're saved because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. What does that tell you? Somebody doesn't love their brother, they're not even saved people. That's what that tells us. We know that we've passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. But what is love again? It's giving. It's self-sacrifice. How do we know that God loved us? How do we know that? Well, verse 16, go to 1 John 3 and verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, 
and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do we know that God loves us? Here's how we perceive it. He laid down His life for us. He gave. He sacrificed Himself. That's how we know God loves us. How is it that other people know that we love them? Right? We're to love our enemies. Matthew 5 and verse 44. Jesus says to love your enemies. You know what? If there's anything that takes the Holy Spirit of God, it is, it is that, to be able to love your enemies. To love, to give to those who don't like you. Those who hate you. That's the kind of love that God is talking about. My natural reaction in my flesh is certainly not to love back or to love someone who hates me or to give or to sacrifice or to do good to those who spitefully use you. That's not my natural reaction. If there's anything that takes the Spirit of God, it's to love your enemies, to give and to sacrifice for those who hate you. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, meaning what the Holy Spirit of God produces in a life. And we cannot love, then, until we yield self to the Holy Spirit's control. Then, God, who is love, will love through us. And as we are filled with the Spirit of God, love will be shown by us toward God and toward man in a sacrificial giving of self. You know what that means? As you grow in your Christian life, as you are filled with the Spirit of God, less and less selfishness will be the result. When a life demonstrates self-centeredness, selfish motive, selfishness at the, at the heart, self-centeredness, all of those things, when a life is demonstrating that, it's showing us that the Holy Spirit of God is not what is controlling because the opposite is what will be true. Less and less selfishness will be the result. How will love then be practiced towards others? Well, the Bible says in 1 John 3 and verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. See that? How is love practiced? Not by words that we say. Not by the words, I love you. Love is proven in deed. Love is practiced in action. This is how love is proven. Not the words, I love you, but the actions that go along with it are what demonstrate and prove what real love. What is that action to be? Self-sacrifice. Giving. Again, 1 John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Here's how we know God loves us. Because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's how love is to be practiced, indeed. In works, not in words. Go to Romans chapter 12. Here's another Bible truth of how love is to be practiced. In Romans chapter 12, in verses 9 and 10, I want to draw out a, a few things out of these two verses here. The Bible says this, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, 
Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. So again, we find another Bible truth concerning how love is to, should be practiced or what it should look like. And here we find that love is to be without dissimulation. You know what that means? It's to be without hypocrisy. The word dissimulation means feigned or fake. It means hypocrisy. And so God says that love is to be without dissimulation or without hypocrisy, not feigned, not faked. In other words, love on our part to others ought to be genuine and not something that is false or something that is put on or something that is faked. It means that there's no put on with this. It's pure. It's right. It is God's love being manifested in you and me toward other people. That's the kind that is produced by the Spirit of God. The whole thought here in Romans chapter 12, in context of Romans chapter 12, the whole thought is relationships in the body of Christ. How we treat one another. That's the whole context of where Paul says, let love be without dissimulation. In a New Testament church, everything we do for one another needs to be done out of genuine love. There's no ministry. There's no anything if genuine love is not there. That's the signal that God is truly working in and through people's lives. Paul frames a thought here with these words, with the next things that he mentions here. The next statements are participles, and what that means is that these statements are linked to what he just said about love being unfeigned. Okay? Understand that? So he says here, look at this again, he says, let love be without dissimulation. Now all of the rest of these are participles. It means they're all linked to what he just said. He says, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Basically what Paul is showing us is what genuine love in our relationships should look like. Notice what he says. He says, love, let love be without dissimulation. The first thing, abhor that which is evil. The word abhor here is a present active participle. That may not mean anything to you, but what it means is this. It sort of is, is it's hooked on to the main thought. The main thought is let love be true and genuine, not fake or, un, or feigned, okay? Abhor that which is evil. The word abhor, it means to detest. With horror. The word evil is the Greek word paneros. Now, there's two words for evil in the New Testament. One is kakos and the other is paneros. This word, paneros, is the word that means evil that is injurious to somebody else. It's a relationship word. In other words, what Paul is saying is when I'm filled with the Spirit of God, He is producing His love in me. This love will be without hypocrisy, and this love will cause me to detest with horror the things that are injurious to somebody else in the church. Like what? The words I say, the actions that I have, towards other people. Paul says, let love be true and genuine. Don't let it be fake. Abhor that which is evil, meaning detest the things that would be injurious to other people in the church. 
And understanding this principle, it should guide us in how we relate to one another. Maybe in how we speak to each other. Maybe in how our attitudes are towards each other. We ought to detest and despise words that are damaging and hurtful to the brethren. Paul just said, you're biting and devouring one another. And you're going to be consumed. Genuine love says, because I love you, I despise and detest the words and actions and attitudes that are injurious to you. That's what he's saying. That's what godly love is. Is that what demonstrates or manifests, is manifested in your life? You know, we say lots of things, and sometimes we pass off hurtful things and just say, well, you're just being too sensitive. We justify our words. We justify ourselves with those kinds of excuses. You're just being too sensitive. When the Bible clearly defines how our words should be used, what does the Bible say? Our words should be seasoned with salt and and full of grace, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Our words are to edify and build up one another. That's what the Bible tells us about how our words should be used. He also says here, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Here's another participle. It's hooked on to the idea of love being genuine. It says cleave to that which is good. The word cleave is, is the word for glue, essentially. It's a present passive participle. You're like, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, what it means is this. It's something that is, that is forced on you. It's not something that you generate, in other words. The love that is being manifested in you by the Spirit of God glues you to that which is good for others. Do you understand that? Is it making sense? The word good here is the word Greek word that means benefit. It's another relationship word. It's the antithesis to the word that we just looked at as evil, that which is injurious. And it means that I'm glued to the attitude that whatever I do and whatever I say in relation to others is for their benefit, for their spiritual help, or or, uh, it's a benevolent word is what it is. The idea is I'm conscious about, and I want to be conscious about what is good and helpful to you. Those are the words that I'm going to be using. So this is what love without hypocrisy does. There's no hypocrisy in it. Therefore, it abhors that which would hurt somebody. We can't stand it or tolerate it. And at the same time, we're glued to that which does good for them or is a benefit to them. This is a principle that should guide our actions with others. Amen? And now Paul, in the next verse, puts it right into context so that we can understand it. Look at verse 10. He says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. That phrase, be kindly affectioned, it comes from two Greek words. Phylos, love as a friend, and another Greek word, storgos, it's actually another word for love. It's a word that's rarely used in the New Testament, but it's a very special kind of love because it demonstrates or it means or it, it, it's used in connection with a mother's love for her children. 
Or a brother and a sister kind of love. A father to a mother. It's a family word and it carries the weight and the meaning of devotion. This is interesting. Because it defines for us how we ought to feel about our fellow members in the church. That we're a family. This is what he's talking about. We're devoted like blood because we're one in Christ. We're part of the same family. That's how we're to see each other and function inside of the body. He says, be kindly affectioned one to another. It is a family word. It's a family kind of love. And then he says, with brotherly love. That's the Greek word Philadelphia. And it means just how it's translated. It means brotherly love. And here's, here's what Paul is saying. And it simplifies the whole matter for us if we understand it this way. He's saying that you begin to see this body like you've never seen it before. You begin to see this congregation that you are a part of as a family, which has lots and lots of devotion one to another. I think overnight, lots of people's problems could be fixed if this were understood and this were practiced. You know, in a family, there's going to be different levels of maturity. There's going to be different ways of thinking. Sometimes there's going to be a little bit of rift. Sometimes there's going to be lots of agreement and lots of laughing and lots of hugging. There's going to be all kinds of things. In a family, there ought to be a lot of devotion. So that when those disagreements happen or the different ways of thinking come around, it's not writing your family member off because we don't see it eye to eye. We might not see things exactly eye to eye, but you know what? I still love you because you're my family. And there's a lot of devotion here. I'm, I'm loyal to you because you're my family. Does that make sense? Sometimes in family, there's different ages and different levels of maturity. And because of that, we interact differently with others based on the age they are and based on the and where they're at in their life. We don't expect the same thing from a seven-year-old that we do from an 18-year-old. We treat them a little bit differently, but we don't have the same expectations. We're gracious, right? with that younger one because they've got some learning to do. Sometimes it's the same way in a church as well. There are different levels of maturity and therefore different expectations, but we're still family, and family means loyalty and devotion. And I'm saying, may we have this kind of attitude, and we will if we're yielded to the Holy Spirit of God and He's producing love in us. May we have this attitude one toward another. May the Lord give us discernment of how to treat one another, where they are, how to minister to people. It is that kind of love that should permeate the church of God. Do you live it out? Are there actions that go along with the words? Or is there a lot of selfishness, self-centeredness, self-seeking? My life, my way, my, my time, my whatever. There's no giving. There's no sacrifice. 
There's no self-denial. That's not love. Look at verse 10 again. He says, Be kindly affection one another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Biblical love is selfless and it's humble. He says, in honor, preferring one another. What does that mean? Well, the word prefer, it also comes from two Greek words. One means before, that's pre. Then there's the word hagamai, which means to lead. Now follow this line of thinking. So he says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. In other words, what he's saying is each one is responsible to go before and to take the lead in serving and loving others. In other words, I don't wait for somebody else to love me or to serve me. I take the lead and I serve and love others. Genuine love that is produced by the Holy Spirit is God's love in you, leading you and motivating you to take the lead. In other words, don't wait on somebody to come to you. You go to them. That's powerful because, you know what? I think it would solve a lot of counseling sessions for people who say this, nobody loves me in the church. Nobody has been kind to me in the church. We need to understand what Paul is saying here. He's saying if we're filled with God, we're not worried about who does or doesn't speak to us. We're not concerned with who is or isn't doing something for us. What we're concerned with is who I can speak to, who I can love, who I can show love to, who I can serve. That's the whole thought here. Take the lead in showing love to others. That's what he's saying. Self-sacrifice, not self-seeking. I'm waiting for somebody to come and show me love. Uh-uh. That's not what the Spirit of God produces. And then he says, in honor, preferring one another. The word honor it means great value. It carries the meaning of putting them higher than yourself. Paul says the same thing pretty much in Philippians chapter 2. It's the same word that's used in 1 Peter chapter 3, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. What it means is to assign great value to another. It means to protect that which is of great value. And the reason we protect it is because it's of great value, and I treat it a certain way because it is of great value. Make sense? That is, listen, all of this, what the, the next one in the list is joy. It's love and joy. But you know where joy comes from? We'll get to it next time. But you know where joy comes from? From this. Giving of yourself. Serving. For consider Him, Jesus, for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. He gave of Himself. There's a lot of times when people, they might put on a smile on the outside, but in reality, they're actually miserable people on the inside. And the reason they are is because they don't really love others. They love themselves. They're never really around 
They're never really there to sacrifice or give or help. They're pretty much concerned about their own things. Pretty much the opposite of, in honor, preferring one another. So the question is, as we close up here, and ask yourself the question. Number one, how do I treat other people in the words that I say? In the attitudes that I manifest? How do I treat others? Number two, do I really show genuine godly love by my actions? And number three, Am I truly concerned about the good and benefit of my fellow church members? And what am I doing to prove that and to build and edify this body? Maybe that applies in your family. Maybe that applies on a church level. But am I truly concerned about the good and benefit of my fellow members? You know what? If, if and when we are, it'll, it'll show itself in the actions that we give, in the time that we give, in the sacrifice that we make one for another. You know, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, right? Romans 8, nothing. But because nothing can separate us from the love of God, then there really shouldn't be anything that keeps us from loving others as well. Because it's God's love that should be manifest in us. The one thing that will, though, is living in the flesh and not walking in the Spirit. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Amen. Yield to Him, His Spirit, that He might produce His kind of love one for another in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You, Lord, for the truth tonight, for Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that it would cause us to ponder and to think and Lord, our heart would be, Lord, I want to be like Christ. Make me more like the Master. The song that we sang earlier tonight. More of His love to show. Lord, I pray that You would help us to have a yielded heart and a heart that says, Lord, I want to be surrendered and I want to be yielded to You. The areas that need to change in my life, Lord, I'm willing You take them. And Lord, would you produce godly, Christ-like love in me. Thank you, Lord, for the time tonight, and we pray that you use your word. In Jesus' name, amen.